Well, at the close of the service, uh, as we always say, there's baskets at the doors. If you'd like to participate in the offering, that is present. Or you can go on your phone to these details on the screen to support and the, the ministries of the church as well as just as your act of worship. Today we are beginning a new uh, series for three weeks called Peaks and Valleys, Trusting God Through It All. And uh, wow, the songs we picked, Keith, really lined up well <laughs> with that theme so far. Um, and so, you know, I, was, I heard an, an interview this week of a man who uh, was, is a multi-multi-millionaire, and he said, I was just always so focused on getting that brass ring and getting to the top of the mountain. And he said, when I got there, I realized that millions of dollars by yourself is not as fun as it sounds. He said, without people around me, it wasn't as much uh, it, it wasn't as uh, enjoyable as I thought it would be. You know, as people are right, I was in a gas station yesterday getting a drink, and uh, people were lined up to win the Powerball. I think you have better odds of being bit by a shark like five times than winning that. Um, but if you do win it, uh, let us know. Um, 10% of that will go quite nicely. Um, very well for life. Uh, so that, you know, people in America, we look at that as the peak of our, of our existence, if I can just get just a little more, you know? And yet, we also go through these valley times, these fog, I call them foggy times. You go through something traumatic. Uh, like, I was driving home from Blowing Rock one time, a lot of you go up there, you know this, and I was going down 321, it was literally so foggy, I could not see in front of my headlights. It's like you're just in a cloud. And I had to use the line on the road to see where I was going. It was really scary. Because uh, you can literally fall off the mountain. Um, you know, we go through those foggy times of life where uh, you lose a loved one, or terminal illness, or you lose your job, or you go through abuse, whether emotional or physical or otherwise. Um, it, it's really here, it's just sin doing what sin does best, best right? It just brings death. And uh, you, you encounter those moments of death in life. And sin doing what it is always doing, and it can put blinders on you. It can make you think this is all it's ever going to be. And you get into those depression, dark times. When you're in those valley times, it can be hard to remember the promises of God. It can be hard. If you, like promises like Romans um, 8.28, that all things work together for good to those who love him. Or 2 Corinthians 4, that despite all of our troubles, God will never abandon us. Because when we talk about walking in peaks and valleys, we're really talking about walking in the tension of what it means to be alive. That on one hand, in this earthly sphere, we have entropy. Things break down. Things decay. They die. And we, in our physical self, that is happening. So we walk in that tension, and yet we also serve a God who is always renewing, who's always resurrecting, who's always bringing life, who is always transforming, who is always having the joy of creation, and, and, and the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead can live within you, okay? So, but we walk with that tension of flesh and spirit. And so how do we walk in this way that we, the, we grow in the things of the spirit um, and be thankful in spite of life's circumstance? Almost an attitude of gratitude. Well, one answer is not more religion. Religion says to people, God is good, you're bad, try harder. Right? And that doesn't get you out of the valley. You know, the Apostle Paul really was good at the religion game when he was Saul. 
He was so good at it. He was well-educated. He was wealthy. He was well-esteemed. He trusted himself for his own righteousness. He was perfect according to the Old Testament law. He trusted himself for his own righteousness, and he knew that the religion game, just jumping through the religious hoops, is not the answer to find an attitude of gratitude. It's a dead end. And then Saul had an experience that literally changed his life. He literally saw and heard Jesus. Like he literally saw him. Now, no, you can, if you experience Jesus Christ in a real way, you're not the same. You can't look away. You can't be like, oh, well, that was nice. What's on TV tonight? Right? Saul, and then he became Paul, was never the same man after that. He was literally persecuting Christians, holding the coats while they stoned Stephen. He was pulling Christians out of their home. A lot of them got killed and, and martyred in horrible ways, and he was responsible for that. He has this radical transformation, and this is a very long story short. He would go on to write words like this in Philippians chapter 3. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss. Uh, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. The, the Greek word there can also mean um, refuse or poop, if you want to use uh, an untoward term. But that's what it means. He's literally saying feces. Every, I count all that that was as rubbish, garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. That sounds nice. That's the peak moment, right? That's a peak moment of light. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Paul trusted Jesus for his righteousness. He just wanted to live like him, be with him, to be whatever he wanted him to be, whether I suffer for him or if I'm raised up or I'm brought down. I just want to serve him, even in his suffering. Now, he's in a valley moment here. He's chained to a wall. He's in a, a prison. He's been beaten. He's been uh, chased by mobs. He's hungry. He's dirty. He's destitute. He... Uh, He's been in multiple shipwrecks. And yet earlier in Philippians, he'd write words like this in Philippians chapter 1. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now, if you were chained to a Roman prison, would you say things like that? I mean, he literally encountered something. Either you're crazy, or you saw something that fundamentally transformed your view of the world. He said, living is Christ and dying is gain. He's essentially saying, well, for one, how do you even chain a man like that? Physically, he is chained, but his soul is free. His spirit is alive. He has so much hope because of who Christ is. He's saying, if I live, that's a win. Because I have him and he has me. And when I die, I don't die. I live. When or when. Either I live or I live. No matter what may come. He is with me and I am in him. It's all gain. 
it's all upside ultimately. Whether I'm on the peak or I'm on the valley, he is with me. This steadfastness has nothing to do with our ability or our religion. It has everything to do with his work on yours and my behalf. Now, this realization of who Jesus is stands in stark contrast to the church is traditionally called the world, which is really just people, what we call the natural man or the natural woman, to use Paul's words, people that are outside of a relationship with God, who don't have peace with God, who don't know Jesus Christ. And their attitude, and this was my attitude too, as a younger man, is instead of to live as Christ has died as gain, the attitude becomes to live as me and to die is tragic. Right? I'm on the throne of my life, and when things don't go the way I would like down in the valley, it's a tragedy. See, trusting God on the peak or the valley, it's not a matter of chance. It's a matter of choice. It's about making up your mind of whom do you trust. You can't change your outcome, but you can change your outlook. That we can choose joy, like Henry Nouwen said. We can choose joy and keep choosing joy. Every single day, you can choose Christ. Every single day. Because the opposite of joy is not sadness. It's not like, it's not like joy is this like thing way up here and, and sadness is way down here. I think they're a lot closer sometimes than we realize. It's almost like a dance, like that movie um, Inside Out. You remember that kid's movie? Uh, they really capital, they, they typified that really well. But that you, you can grieve and have joy at the same time. And I've said that before to people, and people nod their heads that have been through deep, deep grief. They understand that, that somehow those things can coexist. They're not mutually exclusive. See, Jesus understood that. Jesus is the only sinless, perfect human being who ever lived to walk the earth, and yet the prophet Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would be a man of sorrows, that he would be crushed by our sin, He'd be overcome by the sin of the world. He'd be a man of sorrow. And yet Jesus is perfect, right? He's perfect. He's flawless. And yet he goes around crying all the time. He did. He's crying when Lazarus dies. He's weeping over Jerusalem. He has compassion on the crowds of people who are hungry, following him around. I remember that Tim McGraw song, I don't know why they say grown men don't cry. That song makes me cry when I heard it. I cry at weddings, usually when I'm officiating, and that prevents a problem. When Barbara Breck was the flower girl a few weeks ago, it about tore me up, and then I had to talk. I had to say things to make this thing happen. I cried at the end of the notebook, and I got to say, at the end of Titanic, I did shed a tear. There's room on the door for Jack. There just was room. James Cameron, you are a cruel taskmaster. Jesus is weeping. He cries. Does that mean he's deficient in some way? Does it mean he's damaged? No, he's perfect. It's not like Jesus was always on a super peppy, Christian, saccharine, sugar high, like bumper sticker Christianity. It's like, oh, you know, it's all happening for a reason, and you tie a little theological bow around your problems. And that's not the answer. That's not mature Christianity, right? That's not trusting God. That's trusting your own self to make sense of what you're trying to experience. 
You can feel your grief and trust God in the valley because he's with you. Do you know why he's weeping? He's weeping because he is perfect. Because when you're not all absorbed in yourself, you can feel the sadness of the world. That true love feels pain. It's a risk. The love of God is willing to take that risk on our behalf. He feels our pain, not because he's broken, but because we are. And this is an important statement in our American culture that is, I would say, at epidemic levels of narcissism. If you don't have empathy, you do not understand true love. You do not. Until you get outside your own head and feel the pain of someone else's life, you don't know what love is yet. But you can Because when you're not absorbed in yourself, you can feel the sadness of the world. It's almost like a shell breaking and something new being born. And what happens is you feel the joy of the Lord inside the sorrow. It doesn't come after the sorrow. It doesn't come after the weeping. The weeping happens because of the love. The weeping drives you into the joy of God. And this is really important. The joy of Jesus Christ enables you to feel your grief without it sinking you. You can feel how you feel, and that's good, without it sinking you. In other words, God helps us be emotionally healthy, like Jesus. The Lord is healing you. Psalm 126.5, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. The strength of God, the goodness of God, is the underlying foundation that allows us to stand even when everything is sinking around you. It's easy to thank God at the top of the valley or the top of the peak when you win the Super Bowl or you win an Oscar or something. It's a whole lot different story to thank God when you're at the bottom, isn't it? To feel the joy of God even in the midst of the trial and the difficulty. It's like John Wesley's prayer where he famously said things like, let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. That, hey, if I'm up, it's for you. If I'm down, it's for you. A surrendered life is able to navigate the peaks and the valleys of life. Now, if you want to read about some peaks and valleys, I recommend you read the book of Psalms or Ecclesiastes. In Psalms 31, King David, his whole life is falling apart. He literally has enemies lined up at his door. It is not figurative. They are literally coming to get him. And he's writing out his prayers. That's just all this is. You're getting into his head. You're hearing his thoughts. You're reading his prayer life. And his life is falling apart. He says, oh Lord, I've come to you for protection. Don't let me be disgraced. Save me for you do what is right. Turn your ear to listen to me. Rescue me quickly. Be my rock of protection, a fortress where I will be safe. You are my rock and my fortress. For the honor of your name, lead me out of this danger. Pull me from the trap my enemy set for me, for I find protection in you alone. I entrust my spirit into your hand. Jesus quoted that from the cross, by the way. Into your hands I entrust my spirit. Rescue me, Lord, for you are a faithful God. And then if you jump down to verses 14 and 15, David says something really important. But I'm trusting you, O Lord, saying, you are my God. My future is in your hands. 
You know, as we approach the Lord's table this morning, it's important to come with open hands and to be reminded that whether you're on the top or the bottom in your life, wherever that is, his times are in your hands, in his hands. Your times are in his hands, I mean. And nothing will ever change that. And as we come to the Lord's table, I invite you to close your eyes, and I'm going to pray. And I invite you to have open hands on your lap. Just hold them open. And ask yourself, what are you holding on to that you need to surrender, just as David did? The uncontrollable thing you can't control, but only God can. What are you holding on to that you need to put into his hand? Your times are not in your hands. Your times are in God's hands. And it's because of the goodness of Jesus that we can come to him with open hands and be a people who walk in victory and be a people who can say to live as Christ, to die as gain, not to live as me and to die as tragic. But that because of your work on our behalf, Jesus, we can come with open hands. And as we approach your table this morning, we receive this gift, your body and your blood poured out for us, and we give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.